the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with normally Brian Fromm. He is in Mexico for his 20-year anniversary. If you see him, give him a high five or a hug because uh, he's celebrating with his wife. But this whole week, uh, we're inviting some special guests to join us in the studio. But before I get to that, a couple places you can find us. You can go to Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And wherever it is you get podcasts, if you are the podcasting type, a little like, subscribe, and review does somehow magically help us out. So we would appreciate that very, very much. Thank you so much for listening there. Hit that share button if you don't mind and share it with a friend. Uh, So I'm excited and I'm excited all week long because honestly, cards on the table, the people that are coming in the studio are just like people that I like. (laughs) Just people I think doing good stuff in the world. And Mark Vargas, you are no exception to that rule. Welcome for the very first time to the Common Good. Thank you for having me and glad to be here. It's my pleasure, man. For for people that don't know you or who you are or what you do, uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our audience in whatever way you deem fit. Careful. That's very dangerous. <laughs> I know. I know it. Are you guys prepared for this? <laughs> nope. Not usually. No. <laughs> well, you know, we're both uh, Judson alums, uh, but I, I talk about more than just being an alum of Judson. Uh, it was while a student there as a sophomore that I had my lightning bolt moment hmm. on September 11th, 2001. Wow. And it was at that moment that I discovered my real purpose and meaning in life. And I remember my mom calling my dorm room, who also worked at Judson in the registrar's office, and she said, I was at first floor Wilson Hall. Okay. And she said, turn on the television. So I stumbled out of my bed in time to see the second plane flying to the World Trade Center. Oh, and, my gosh. And... There was a whole group of guys that were on the first floor in the main TV area. You remember that. I do remember that. And the first thing that I said was, I'm going to do something about this. And so my whole life from that wow. point on has, has had purpose. And I knew that at that point that I wanted to serve my country in hmm. some way, shape, or form. Hmm. And so it's very interesting. You know, fast forward several years later, I am walking into the Pentagon to interview for a job to join the staff of the Secretary of Defense to go to Iraq. Wow. And my interview was essentially one question. You know where you're going, where you're volunteering to go, which is Iraq. Right. Why? Hmm. And this has been, this is in 2007, this has been a question that I've been thinking about since 9-11-01 as a student at Judson University. Right, right. And without even missing a beat, I said, I believe that we're waging the battle of my generation in the Middle East, and particularly in, particularly in Iraq. Wow. And one day, I'd like to look back and say that I was a small link in bringing stability to a war-torn country. Wow. Fast forward, I'd go a total, I'd take a total of 14 deployments to Iraq as a civilian between mm. 2007 and 2010. So... Uh, everything that I've done since then has been related to the federal government, uh, Department of Defense, White House. So I served under two presidential administrations, George W. Bush and, and Barack Obama, because President Obama decided to keep 
Robert Gates is the Secretary of Defense. Right. So just had a rich, rich experience of living in a war zone and uh, and serving our country. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned a little earlier that uh, you and I are both very familiar with Judson University. We both actually served as student body presidents. I think your presidency was probably more successful than mine. We can, <laughs> we can get into that later. What, what are you doing with and for Judson nowadays? No, that's a great question. So my mom uh, is the director of the RISE program, which I think is... An incredible program. Yeah, tell us about it a little bit, because it's brilliant. Judson is the only Christian university in the country that offers both a a master's in architecture and a RISE program. And the RISE program is a a specific, a two-year program for students that are uh, differently abled Uh to attend for the first time and have a college experience. They get a two-year certification, and it is just a wonderful program. It's gaining traction from all over the country. In fact, Caroline Kennedy, who came to Judson as part of the uh, World Leaders Forum speaker in October, when asked on stage, were you there at at that event? I wasn't there, no. When asked on stage why... She decided to come out to Judson University's World Leaders Forum as a speaker. She only gives like maybe three speeches right. a very year. Very few. Very, very few. few. Yeah. She goes, one thing that attracted me to Judson is when I learned about their RISE program. Wow. And so my mother is the director of the RISE program, and it's terrific. Uh, in fact, they're playing a game. They're uh, trying out for the Special Olympics for basketball. So they've got another game Tuesday night, tomorrow night. That's amazing. And then a, a game on Sunday, which I'll be attending. But... Uh, part of the reason that um, one of the things that I do for for Judson and I'm excited to be a part of is is not only am I on the board of the World Leaders Forum, right. but we've launched my own speaker series called Conversations with Mark Vargas. So I just this will try to be a separate entity of Conversations with Mark Vargas yeah. and Ian Simpkins. <laughs> there we go. Let's do it. We, we could create a second uh, a, another product of the World <laughs> Leaders Forum series. You just tell me where to sign, man. That's right. That's good. And so uh, we launched it last May. And uh, the first guest to help me launch it was my buddy, Mark Cuban. So it was great to bring Mark Cuban That's out remarkable. to Judson. When I told him Judson University, he goes, where the hell is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, Mark, uh, I, you know, it's about 45 minutes west of Chicago. Sure. Uh, but he had a great time. Well, I'm looking at the photo right here. He did come, right? How I'm curious. But someone listening probably is wondering, wait, how are you friends with Mark Cuban? Like, how did that even happen? You know, it, Twitter. No kidding. That's the story. That's the story. <laughs> we met on Twitter, and uh, it's been now. I'm his guest to Mavericks games. We talk all the time. Wow. We've flown out to DC for meetings, and I'm sort of advising him. So it's a really crazy story. I'll, we've got a few more minutes yeah, now because I don't want to take up too much time. But so, and I think this is an example for anyone just to reach out and tr- give it a, a try. Right. So I love to write, and I'm an examiner. Uh, 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 a contributor for the Washington Examiner, which is part of the White House press corps. And so I'd written an op-ed to Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, on how to modernize government technology hmm. because he's head of the Office of American Innovation. And I talked about how we need to utilize the strength and horsepower of the private sector outside of Silicon Valley. And particularly, I'm a tech entrepreneur in the Midwest. So let's right, right. utilize experts uh, in technology and innovation from the Midwest and Southwest and Northeast. And... Um, it was published within 24 hours, completely unrelated. Mark Cuban gives an interview to Business Insider, and he basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll stop making fun of Trump to help him modernize government technology. Huh. And so I'd waited all day long to tweet him my article. <laughs> and it was like 10 o'clock at night, and he finally tweeted something. And so I tweeted back, and I said, hey, Mark Cuban, Trump could really use your help. Here's my latest op-ed. What do you think? And 
20 seconds later, my phone vibrates and Mark Cuban liked my tweet. And I'm like, you oh, know, freeze, <laughs> picture that, you know, like, yeah, wow, I was save really that happy. For later, right? yeah, yeah, I mean, that's going to go up on the wall or the refrigerator <laughs> or something with a magnet. And it's um, 10 seconds later, I get another notification. Mark Cuban's now following you on Twitter. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I follow back. As soon as I followed him back, he hit me with a direct message. And for the next two hours, we were ex- we were having a, a direct conversation from like 10 o'clock at night till midnight. Okay. And I offered uh, – he asked me, do you have any White House contacts? Because he's got a health care proposal that he's wanting to push through. Huh. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, if, if you'd like, I'm willing to help you and connect you with the right people in Washington. No kidding. And he said, I could use the help. And three weeks later, we were on our first trip into Washington. No kidding. So really, it was Twitter was the impetus for this entire relationship. And and I'm advising him on federal affairs strategy, White House strategy, uh, congressional strategy. And yeah. so it's even though I'm a tech entrepreneur, everyone's like, have you pitched him your company? I've never pitched him my company. Hmm. I don't talk about it. And I'm probably the only person on the country where he's said, OK, Mark, tell me about your tech startup. Right, right. Man, oh, man. OK, so you're probably guessing by now why I have Mark in the show, because I just think you lead an incredibly interesting life. And I'm reading in your bio, too, you've done interviews and writing about criminal justice reform and the opioid crisis and immigration. So we're going to try and get into all of that, if that's okay. Coming up next. I'd love it. With Mark Vargas here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is out of town. He's not only out of town, he's out of the country. But you can still find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, give a little like, subscribe, review. That helps us out a lot. Maybe even a share. If you don't mind, that would give us a little leg up. We're still a new show and trying to get the word out. But... This week, in Brian's absence, we have a whole smattering, a smorgasbord of special in-studio guests. My guest right now this hour is Mark Vargas. And if you were listening to the previous segment, you're probably already taking notes because I think you just have a whole lot of interesting things. You're definitely one of those like multiple irons in the fire kind of guy, which I 100% resonate with. But I'm reading in your bio, and I'm just even like highlighting words and topics that I really want to ask you about. But the one that jumps out for me is prison reform. And we talked about this before at Community. You know, we launched Community Freedom uh, a little over a year ago, and this is planting churches in prisons. And you're really passionate about this idea of criminal justice reform. Would you just talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, it all started my passion with prison reform. Uh, was I'm also the spokesperson, the advisor to the Blagojevich family, the former Illinois governor who's serving a 14-year prison sentence. And so I started to research about his how outrageous his 14-year sentence is and disproportionate. Hmm. Um, you know, you could shoot someone in the middle of Main Street and serve less time than the former governor. I mean, it's hmm. just completely outrageous. But what I discovered is that his case is not alone, that there are a lot of people who are serving grandmothers that are serving first as first-time nonviolent drug offenders that are serving lifetime prison sentences. Wow. 40-year sentences, 30-year sentences. And I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I leveraged my uh, access into the White House, and I started working with the White House hmm. on criminal justice reform and wow. and started talking directly to Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, who's in charge of prison reform. Wow. And I linked up with my good friend Van Jones, 
who's a CNN commentator, and Van and Jessica Jackson, who's another very dear friend of mine, they launched Cut 50, which was one of the criminal justice reform organizations working with the president. Hmm. And actually, Kim Kardashian and, and Kanye West are working through Cut 50. And as Kim studies for her law degree, wow. Jessica and Cut 50 are her legal advisors. No kidding. And so I've gotten, I've written national op-eds on this. I've spoken in great length about the need for prison reform. Uh, uh, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and El- I've gotten to know Elvita King, his niece, and and she wrote a national op-ed on Newsmax and was quoting me hmm. on you know my work on on criminal justice reform. But here's my challenge, and and I was there at uh, Community Christian at Yellow Box when they were talking about you know, were launching this yeah. uh, new program for prison reform. And so I'll preface this by 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 here's my idea. And it's a little bit bold, and we discussed this earlier, is I'm from the idea that inmates, those that are incarcerated, don't necessarily need prayer or Bibles or more um, church groups started in prison. A lot of them need people with horsepower to get them out of there. They need someone to say, we've got access into the governor's office. Let's put your case in front of the governor's office. We've got access to the president of the United States. Let's put your case in front of the president of the United States. Because in my opinion, in some of these cases, now not all of them, but there's a lot of them, uh, they're they're serving prison sentences that they don't deserve. Hmm. And it's so disproportionate. And, And I think at the end of the day, there would be a bigger, more impactful ministry saying, of course, we're going to pray for you, but we're going to pray that you're going to get out. Right. And we've got the tools and resources that to try and make it happen. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, maybe it's a both and. Maybe it's like reaching people for the gospel where they're at and also working hard for prison reform. And I'm, I'm curious why you think it seems like criminal justice reform right now is like a pretty hot topic. Like what what about this cultural moment do you think is making it bubble to the top of all the other noise that we see in the news, and the media? Like why are so many people talking about this right now? Well, it was thanks to President Trump and, and bringing this prison reform to the surface. And a lot of people don't realize there's several things. Number one is the United States incarcerates more people than any other country in the entire world. Right. More than Iran, more than China, more than Russia combined. Wow. Think about that. Wow. And it, it's so disproportionate to the minority populations, Hispanic and African-American. But let's talk about some of the positive things, why you had the far left, the ACLU, to the far right, the Koch brothers, Hmm. and everyone in between that were all singing from the same sheet of music in the first time in modern history, Hmm. all talking about the need for criminal justice reform. So together, we are stronger together. This is what was accomplished that I think is so remarkable about the First Step Act. Number one, for the first time Pregnant women are no longer chained and handcuffed to the hospital bed when they deliver a baby in prison. Number two, a lot of families can't afford to see their loved ones who are incarcerated because oftentimes they're incarcerated out of state. It's Hmm. now a law that those incarcerated have to be within 500 miles of their loved one Hmm. because they want to keep the family unit together. Third is before the first step back, the Federal Bureau of Prisons denied... 94% of all compassionate release requests. And compassionate release requests are nonviolent inmates who have been given weeks or months to live. And instead of dying handcuffed, alone, behind bars, 
they can die in the arms of loved ones. No kidding. And before the First Step Act was enacted and signed by the president, 94% of all applications were denied. The First Step Act says, irresponsible. We need to reverse that. Wow. And so I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, that's fascinating. It gives more... It gives more power and discretion to judges to look at the overall case and all of the facts instead of mandatory minimum sentencing. No kidding. There are judges, federal judges, who have retired from the bench because they could no longer emotionally handle sentencing young men and women to jail sentences for the rest of their lives. Wow. But they could, but they had to do it under minimum, minimum, a mandatory minimum sentencing. Yeah, right. And so there's a lot of these things that are addressed in the first step back that are historic. And so now that we look at the second step, what is the second step back? What should we include in that? And I'll, I'll give you a couple of things that we're talking about at the hmm. uh, at the White House. Number one is, and I know this will be a little bit controversial, but if someone has already paid their debt to society, why is it every time they have to fill out a bank application, a credit hmm. card application, a job application? a lease application, any application, are you a, a convicted criminal? Hmm. That scarlet letter sticks with them for the rest of their lives, even though they've paid their debt to society. Wow. And again, we're not talking about rapists and murderers and molesters. We're talking right. about a majority of those nonviolent right. inmates, many first-time offenders. So that's one. Is there a way that for some things we can completely knock that off, that question off of applications so that no one is, has to get that scarlet letter? Hmm. Number two is creating a special commission for pardons and commutation that are made up of all sorts of people from all different walks of life hmm. to sit down and put together a list of those that should be considered for pardons and commutations and then present that to the president. Wow. So a special task for a special committee, pardon committee of not just, you know, uh, uh, political people, but everyday people. And then the third is how do we take the office of the pardon attorney outside of the Department of Justice and put it inside the office of the president because it's too political inside the Justice Department because you're essentially reversing the decisions made by federal prosecutors. Oh, and so they don't have as much leniency. So they, they're, um, it's very difficult for them to rule against their own colleagues. So taking them out, protecting them, and putting in the office of the president would, be, would make a lot more sense. So wow. those are a couple of things that we're, that we're looking at uh, for the second step. That's fascinating. Well, okay. So coming up next, I want to ask you a couple of questions regarding someone who's listening maybe and they're hearing some of this for the first time. Where would you direct them? Where would you point them? Are there resources or websites or even things that you would challenge just the average listener to maybe consider? And then I also want to ask you a little bit about a topic that's close to my heart, which is the opioid crisis and something I think is probably a bigger issue, even particularly in the suburbs than people realize. That's all coming up next with my very special guest, Mark Vargas, here on the Week of Guests on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is out of the country for his anniversary, but you can still find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook. Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, we're podcasted. So if you're just joining us, don't worry. There is a podcast and uh, any kind of review or subscription or share, that all does help us out a whole lot. But in Brian's absence, we have a slew of very special in-studio guests. And before we turn it over to Mark Vargas again, a quick word. Uh, the new year is underway, and our friends at InTouch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church. 
featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. I was not aware that he was a photographer. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo so you can get yours today 100% free. Just go to 1160hope.com slash contest and everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principle Bible. So go to 1160hope.com slash contest today. And uh, earlier, Mark, you had talked a little bit at length, actually, about criminal justice reform and some of what you've been able to do. And I'm wondering, just for the average listener who's feeling a little stirred, maybe a little inspired, but they're wondering, well, what, what can I do or where can I go to learn more? Like, what would you say to the person driving in the car right now that's like, well, I don't even know how to take my first step? Well, uh, an organization that I would recommend is Cut 50. Okay. And that's co-funded by Van Jones and Jessica Jackson, and that's what Kim and Kanye are working with. And they're doing a lot of work across the country working in governor's offices. And I, a lot of families that come up to me and ask for help who's ha, who they ha, has a loved one that's in a state prison, I point them to Cut 50 because of the relationships that they have in all okay. of the governor's offices. That's phenomenal. So that's cut50.com or dot .org. .org. Dot .org. That's perfect. Cut50.org for more information. But by the way, before my uh, next question, are there places people can go to get in touch with you? Do you have a website or email or Instagram or whatever? Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. Is at Mark A. Vargas. It's verified. Perfect. Right little on. shameless plug. <laughs> this is why I love to say. There's, yeah, no shame. That's there's, okay. There's no shame. No. There's no shame in my game. I'll tell you that right now. And this is why I think it's so cool. There's 320 million active Twitter users Whoa. throughout the country or throughout the world every wow. month. Less than 300,000 are verified. No kidding. Look at you. How do I get one of those? It's just the it's the blue check, right? Can I just Photoshop a blue check into my profile? <laughs> no, it's totally verified. Check it out. Put, um, put the cross. I'm verified by the Lord. <laughs> That's terrible and also something I would do. Um, so one of the things that is actually really close to my heart, and we, you know, at the Yellow Box, we host TEDx Naperville every year. And uh, I remember hearing one of the speakers talk about the opioid crisis. And that's something that you've both done interviews on, but you've also written extens- extensively about. Um, tell us a little bit about what the crisis actually is and then some of the way forward for us. Yeah. What got me involved with the opioid crisis is Eric Bowling is a very good friend of mine, Eric mm-hmm. and Adrian. And Eric used to be a, uh, one of the top news personalities on Fox News Channel. Mm-hmm. And his son, Chase, died of an accidental overdose. Wow. And he calls himself the accidental expert. Oh, interesting. And he calls it not my child syndrome. Hmm. This can happen to everybody else, right. but not my child. Right. And another good friend of mine who's in media, a news anchor in D.C., she lost her son to an accidental opioid overdose. And Chase's example wow. and many others, he was in college, stressed out, uh, got a Xanax from a friend, hmm. and they didn't know that that Xanax was laced with fentanyl. Jeez. And goes to bed and doesn't wake back up. And so just seeing the pain and the grief and the agony with my friend Anita and with Eric Bowling and his wife, right? I got really involved in it. And Eric's relationship with the president and first lady, actually Melania Trump, her part of her Be Best campaign includes Eric and his fight against opioids. Wow. And so I've used my platform as a contributor to the Washington Examiner, the national platform, to talk about opioid crisis and how it is impacting it's not the inner city right or urban communities right it's white collar middle class yep. america suburbia yep. and so what i've written about this is that america is at war 
but not in the traditional sense. Think about this. This is, it's unbelievable. War on opioids in 2017 took 42,249 Americans. No kidding. In 2015, 33,091. Wow. So let's put this in perspective. During the Vietnam War, we lost 58,193 soldiers over a 20-year period. In 1968, the deadliest year of the Vietnam War, we lost 16,592 soldiers. The deadliest year. We're losing 42,000 Americans per year. Wow. And in King County, we're in DuPage County, right? Yeah. In King County, my home county next door, I was born and raised. Accidental opioid overdose overdose have increased over 200% since from 2014 to 2017. And the King County, both the DuPage County coroner, uh, and the Kane County Corner are very dear friends of mine, Rich Jorgensen here in DuPage, Rob Russell and mm. Kane. And I've spoken to them at great lengths about this. And they're they're just seeing this unbelievable rise in opioid deaths. And it starts in some some of the strangest ways. It could be it could be the dad who's an insurance agent who's part of a, a basketball league right. at a church and they play on Tuesday nights. He blows out his knee. Uh, thinking that he's uh, LeBron James has <laughs> has surgery, right? And the pain meds feel pretty good. And right. once he's done, once the doctor's done prescribing pain meds, like he needs that rush again because it, it right. takes away all of his pain. So he gets addicted to pain uh, pills and doesn't realize that uh, some pain pills that he was able to get somewhere were perhaps laced with fentanyl and goes to bed and doesn't wake up in the morning. And wow. so the corners would tell you the people that are that are uh, lying on their table are, are not the people you'd expect. They're suburban moms, right. they're suburban dads, mm. they're, they're kids. Yep. Uh, and so it really is impacting us in a way that we never even realized. Well, I remember the guy that gave the TED Talk at the Yellow Box, this is just a couple of years ago, he was talking about the dark web specifically, and he said, you know, in Naperville alone, I'm about to attend my 18th funeral of a minor who got something delivered to their house and it's in an Amazon box, right? So the parents don't know and they take it up to the room and they accidentally overdose. And it's, it's such an issue. Like the numbers that you just gave are staggering. I'm wondering why we don't hear more people talking about it. Well, that's why I've been you know, writing about it. And, and thanks for this opportunity to talk about it as well. Yeah, but, of course. you know, coroners are actually getting together and putting together an organization really about how do we address this and of all people coroners yeah right? right i think it's powerful and and that is and rob russell the coroner of king county is working on putting this together uh and you know it was interesting and i don't want to say that i influenced it but you know you never know but i wrote about in my op-ed that uh in king county uh, and and in several of the counties the state's attorneys got together and were suing um were, were suing some pharmaceuticals for uh, for these deaths. And so I gave this to Eric and Eric passed it along to the president. Yeah. Two days later, the president's in a cabinet meeting and he's talking about how some state's attorneys are suing pharmaceuticals. And he looked at the attorney general of the United States and he says, we need to file a lawsuit. Wow. So I don't know if, you know, the president read my op-ed, but I know that Eric had sent it along to him. So I love that opportunity to be able to influence policy yeah. by using a gift that God gave me, which is writing. Yep. And so I would just encourage everyone, anyone to, to get involved. Talk to your coroner's office 
there's a lot of different organizations and families throughout the community that are really um, passionate about these issues. So the only way we can beat it is by, by getting more people aware of what's happening That's in the right, numbers. Man. We're, we're better together. Mark Vargas, I'm grateful for you, man, and the work you're doing in the world. It's it's wonderful just to sit with another Judson student body president again, by the way, because we don't get together enough. That's no. certainly true. That's a great <laughs> alumni group. <laughs> That's true, man. Well, I'm really grateful for you and the work you're doing in the world, man. Thanks for joining us here today on The Common Good. Thanks so much. Appreciate it all a lot. You've been listening to The Common Good with the guest week here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.